You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Demetrius used two things that were close to the hearts of the Ephesians. Number one, the love of their city. And number two, the greatness of their goddess. These two things were close at their hearts. They, they, they thought, you know, Diana, I mean, come on. How many other places in the world does a meteorite fall and strike and be there? I mean, come on, this was sent from Zeus, they said. This was sent from Zeus himself. Wiersbe said this, whenever the gospel is preached in power, it will be opposed by people who make money from superstition and sin. The lost tend to hold their sin very closely. They'll bend over backwards to find justification for their actions and desires. As Pastor Dave warns in today's message, when you start poking at that beast, you can expect it to bite. But don't be afraid. The enemy can only hurt your body. He can't touch your soul when you are in Christ. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he continues his message, The Riot in Ephesus. You are we begin in Acts 19.23. It says, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. A commotion about the way. Remember, the way is another term for Christians. It's another term for the group following Jesus Christ because they claimed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So they call them the way. We've seen this many times in the book of Acts. It says there was a great commotion. Some of the translation says no small disturbance. It's interesting to me the definition of commotion. According to Webster's 1828, commotion means agitation. It means a tumult of people in disorder. It's a disturbance that leads to sedition and insurrection. And this is my most favorite. Commotion is a disorder of the mind. I like that. As we study this morning, I have six points that I want to bring out this morning about this commotion, and they all begin with the letter C. They all begin with the letter C for you note takers. It's cause, characteristics, confusion, contrast, courage, and calmness. So buckle up, we'll be here for the next six hours. Spend an hour in each one, right? Come on. I'll have pizza brought in. Anyhow, the first C I want to discuss is the cause of the commotion. The cause of the commotion. For three years, Satan has been defeated repeatedly throughout Ephesus and all of Asia. Remember, we read earlier that the gospel had spread throughout all Asia. The Lord was making inroads on Satan's territory. He was constantly beating Satan's butt as they pushed further and further into Asia. We saw a couple weeks ago in verses 17 through 20 how those who were practicing the occult, those who were practicing magical things, they took all their books and all their magic things and they burned them in a crowd. And this made, this made the gang start confessing their deeds and magnifying the Lord. This probably took a pretty good toll in the magic book business and it probably hurt their pocketbooks pretty well. This was kind of the start of things. But Satan was strongly defeated, and we read in verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew and mightily prevailed. I love that word. No matter what Satan did, the word of the Lord grew and it prevailed. I love that. Always remember that. 
The Word of God will always prevail. It will always be there. It will never pass away, never fade away, never tarnish, never grow out of style, never grow old. It will always prevail. And it will always do that which it is sent to accomplish. That's what the Word of God does. The church became stronger and stronger in word and deed. And it prevailed against Satan. Hmm. Where have I heard that before? Where have I heard that before? about Matthew 16? When Peter makes his beautiful profession of faith about Jesus Christ, who do men say I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus says, on that profession, Peter, on that profession that I'm the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And then what he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Try as he might, Satan cannot prevail against the true church of God, although he wants to try. He continues to come at the church every single day. He's looking away to bring down any ministry that teaches his word, that teaches God's word. He wants to bring us down. He wants to keep others from coming to God. He wants to keep others from hearing the word of God. I mean, come on. You realize that when you get up on a Sunday morning, some of the toughest things you have to do is just get here. All the things that come in your way and all the things that happen as you try to leave the door on Sunday morning. Try to get here on a Wednesday night and there's a hundred things in front of you that say, I can't go or I shouldn't go. Satan's trying to prevent you from coming. He's ever looking for a way. But when he comes around, we need to stand strong in the power of the Lord. We need to stand strong in the power of his might. We need to stand strong, united, knowing that we have a victory. The victory is ours. The victory uh, belongs to us. The Apostle John said, greater is he is who in us than he is in the world. Amen. So we have the victory. So Satan now incites these workers to come against Paul. And once again, we see the gospel has an effect on the economy of of a place. We use this verse, or excuse me, we use this quote a while back from R. Kent Hughes. He's a book writer. And he said that whenever the preaching of the gospel touches the economic structure of the powers that be, opposition is bound to come. The real cause of this commotion is the effect that the gospel had on people and their lives that were changed. This changed the economy and it changed people's pocketbooks. Paul did not stand in front of the temple Diana and preach. Paul did not stand in front of the temple Diana and say, everybody that walked in there, you're going to hell if you go in there and worship. He didn't do that. He didn't have all his group walking around with signs protesting the temple of Diana. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel changes hearts, and hearts change the social system. You can pick it until the cows come home. You can stand out there on every single corner and pick it what you don't believe in or what you think is wrong against the gospel, but until the gospel message hits the heart and changes the heart, social issues are not going to change. It's the gospel that changes social issues because it changes hearts. And that's what changes the world. We Christians need to stand up for righteousness by standing up and telling people about Jesus Christ and getting them saved. The more people that will be saved, the less the social issues are going to be a problem because they're going to start reading the Word, they're going to start coming to faith, and they're going to have that biblical worldview that we were talking about with the Truth Project, and they're going to know. How will they know unless someone is sent to them? And how will they know unless they hear the gospel? That's what changes lives, not pickets. 
The true cause of the commotion was the gospel being preached and people accepting Jesus Christ in their hearts. The heart transplant had taken place. The heart transplant was now secure. Their lives were changed. Their thinking were changed. They no longer worshiped Diana. They no longer worshiped the idols that Diana brought with them. So we know what the cause was. Now let's look at the characteristics of this commotion. And I like to call the characteristics the ingredients of this recipe. Beginning in verse 24, we read, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of a similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying they are, that they are not gods which are made with hands. So, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple Diana. The Greek name is Artemis. The temple Artemis. It took 220 years to build this temple. It was 425 feet long and 220 feet wide. It was bigger than two football fields. It had 127 columns. And at the center of this temple was this black meteorite that they had fallen. And it was at the center of the temple. And someone had looked at it and it either resembled or someone fashioned it into this grotesque picture of a woman. The local artisans made trinkets. They made idols. They made different things to the people that would come and look at it, and they sold them. Everybody who came to Ephesus had to have a, a copy of this temple or an idol that they took home. The problem is they worshiped these idols. They worshiped these idols. It's kind of like going to the Statue of Liberty. I'm sure if you went to the Statue of Liberty at one time, you probably saw the little Statue of Liberties that were all over the place that you could buy. Well, that's what was happening at this temple of Diana. They were selling these statues. They were selling these artifacts and these trinkets. You have to have one. So that's what's happening here, and they're taking these things home and, and, and worship them. Only, hopefully, you don't take home the Statue of Liberty and worship at it and set it with all candles around it and make some sort of a, a big deal of it. I hope that's not happening. But the economy of Ephesus was dependent on the temple and what was sold there. This is where they got their bucks. So the persecution was, was economically motivated. Enter Demetrius. Enter Demetrius, our heat ingredient, if you will. He's the heat ingredient of this riot. He happens to be the president of the local silversmiths union. I'm calling them Smithies 666. This is the union that he's the president of. He becomes the antagonist here. And he's the one with the clever speech, and he's the one that mentions the economic implications of the gospel having that's being spread throughout Asia. And he's the one that places the blame on Paul for being the one, the persuader, he says. In other words, it was Paul who was going around convincing everybody not to buy these trinkets, not to buy these gods made with hands. The entire economy problem was Paul's fault. This guy was slick. He could speak. He was a great motivator. Probably could have had a church of his own. Used motivational speaking. I won't digress. 
Demetrius used two things that were close to the hearts of the Ephesians. Number one, the love of their city. And number two, the greatness of their goddess. These two things were close at their hearts. They, they, they thought, you know, Diana, I mean, come on. How many other places in the world does a meteorite fall and strike and be there? I mean, come on. This was sent from Zeus, they said. This was sent from Zeus himself. Wearsby said this, whenever the gospel is preached in power, it will be opposed by people who make money from superstition and sin. Think about it. This is what's happening here in Ephesus. This is what we're watching right here in Ephesus. They're making money off of this. So Demetrius, being a good antagonist, he works the crowd into a frenzy using one of his whipping tools. He works the crowd into this frenzy. And they begin to shout, great is Diana, the Ephesians, and the emotions, they start to boil over as he continues to stir the pot, as he continues to work them up. They keep this up for a long, long time. The group of workers become angry mob, and they want to take their revenge out on somebody. They want to take their wrath out on somebody. This is mob mentality at its best. I, I see these pictures of the Middle East and how they're all throwing rocks and they're all coming around, stuff like that. I wonder how many of them were just walking to the market and saw a group, saw, saw them throwing rocks and just dropped everything and started throwing rocks. Didn't even know why they're doing it. It happens all the time. I mean, all you need for a ride around the United States is for have a sports team win a championship. There's a great reason to have a riot. People just go along with the crowd. And they start overturning cars and burning things. Don't even know what they're doing. That's what's happening here. It's just a bunch of heads running around without a brain. Demetrius zeroes in on Paul. He says he's the culprit in the cause when he says, moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying there are not gods which are made with hands. If you look at the recipe that B and I came up with about, this commotion has all the ingredients needed for a riot. It's economically based. The crowd's whipped into a frenzy by a manipulative speaker, and they have somebody to blame. This is going well. Well, let's add a dash of confusion. Our next C word. Let's add a dash of confusion. This turns ugly fast. Look at verses 29 and skip to 32. In verse 29, so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. In verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So confusion becomes our next C word. Confusion reigned. And confusion is always present when you have a riot. And it's an extremely important ingredient. Most of these involved have forgotten why they were even there. They had forgotten why they come together. What was the cause of this confusion? What's the cause of confusion? I'm glad you asked. James, in his epistle, clearly tells us the cause of confusion in James 3.16. He says, for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. So what causes confusion? Envy and self-seeking are a way to evil. Self! Self! Their motivation was self-driven. It was self-promotion. It was about themselves. They were losing money. Their pocketbooks were being hurt. So they were losing money because the gospel was changing people's hearts and lives. This is a typical mob scene. We also know another thing about confusion from Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, we know that confusion is not from God. Confusion is not from God. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14.33, for God is not the author of confusion, 
but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. If confusion does not come from God, then it must come from one of the following three, Satan, the flesh, or the world, or maybe all three. That's where confusion comes from. This is a typical mob scene, as I said. Some of them didn't even know what they were doing. They were just following the crowd. Not a wonder the Lord refers to us as sheep, just following each other around. But in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all this chaos, there's a contrast of sorts. And here's the next C word, contrast. There's a contrast of sorts in the midst of all this chaos. Look at verses 30 and 31. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some of Paul's companions were seized, and Paul was going to go into the theater and speak to the mob, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Look at the contrast here between Demetrius and his mob and Paul and his companions. Demetrius and the silversmiths were promoting idolatry and immorality, trying to make a living. Paul was declaring the true God and pointing people to the cleansing and purity that only can come through Jesus Christ. There's a contrast there. And Paul exhibits another C word in our study, courage. Paul exhibited courage. He wanted to go in and talk to the midst of the mob and explain to them the true gospel message. Paul is fearless, and I love this about him. Paul is one fearless dude. He wants to go right into the middle of a mob and talk to them. His companions are like, wait a minute, Paul. You go in there, they'll tear you apart. They'll rip your arm off and beat you with it. They'll tear you from limb to limb. You can't go in there right now. Paul was fearless. Paul didn't see a mob. Paul didn't see an angry mob. What did Paul see? Future converts. He saw people who needed Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to get in there, and he wanted to show them the gospel. He wanted to teach them. He wanted to preach. Paul was the ever-consummate teacher. He's the the one who wants to bring people to Jesus Christ. Paul didn't see this angry mob. He saw past this angry mob, and he says, they need the Lord. I'm going to go in and talk about Christ. No, please, Paul. Don't go in there. Paul saw what could be in someone. Do you ever look at someone and see what could be with Jesus Christ? It's a neat way to look at them. You don't look at what is. Because usually if they're not saved, what is is kind of not nice. It's kind of like not nice. But if you look at what could be in Christ, it takes on a whole different meaning. It takes on a whole different likeliness. That's how Paul saw people. How did Paul and his disciples display such amazing peace through all this? I suggest to you it's because their hearts were pure and their conscience was clean. Inward purity is the key to power and peace in the midst of spiritual conflict. If you don't have a bad conscience, you can be inwardly pure. Wiersbe says when there are no walls between you and God, you can rest assured that God is standing with you. The mob is all worked up. It's in a frenzy and they're confused. But Paul and his disciples are at peace. They have the peace of God that passes all understanding. They're fully trusting in the Lord, and they knew that he was going to work all things together for good because they love God, and they were being called according to this purpose. This peace leads to an overwhelming calmness, and hence our last word. This calmness is not only within their heart, but it's visible to others. When you're going through a trial, when you're in the midst of a spiritual confrontation, and you have a calmness about you, and you have a peace about you, it becomes attractive to those around you because they want to know, why are you at peace when your world is falling apart? 
Why do you exhibit this peace when everything around you is falling completely apart and then you get the opportunity to say, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because I have a relationship with him because he is my peace. Paul exhibited this courage and he exhibited this calmness. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 26 verses 3 and 4 gives a beautiful picture of this peace. He says, you will keep him, you meaning the Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, Lord. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. I love this verse. It's, it's a life verse for people. It, it's a powerful verse. It's something that should be on your refrigerator or something you should memorize. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. When you have your mind stayed on the Lord. It's really cool because in Hebrew, the term for peace is shalom. Does anyone know the term for perfect peace? Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. It's a repetition, but it communicates intensity. It communicates this intensity. It's peace, peace. It's an assurance. It's not enough. He follows it with a second or a third. Now, some can have this perfect peace, but it becomes fleeting, and we never seem to be able to keep it. Others can be kept in this peace, but it's not a perfect peace. It's a piece of the wicked and a piece of spiritual sleep and ultimate destruction. But there is a perfect peace that the Lord will keep us in. How do we get that perfect peace? I want it and I want it now. Fine. Stay your mind on Christ. Stay your mind on the Lord. That's the answer. Keep your mind stayed on him because in that place is perfect peace. It's the source of perfect peace. When we keep our minds stayed on, when we keep our minds settled on, when we keep our minds established on Jesus Christ, on the Lord himself, we will be kept in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. We will be kept in that. It's interesting here because while Paul and all his companions had peace, while Demetrius and all his gang were all reveled up, the Jews didn't have any peace either. They didn't have any peace here because they wanted to diss themselves from Paul. So they say, hey, Alexander, go in there and tell them that we're not with them. Go in there and tell them. So Alexander says, okay, I will. They want to distance themselves from, distance themselves from Paul. So Alexander goes in, stands before them, and tries to speak, and they go nuts. It says, and they drew Alexander, let's read it, out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people, but they found out that he was a Jew, and all at once the voice they cried for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. I love this. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. They shouted him down. It was a shouting match. They shouted him down. Poor Alexander. Hey, guys, all I want to tell you is that I'm a Jew. We don't like Paul. Ah, great is Diana. Great is Diana. Sounds like being in the Eagles game for two hours. G-E-J-G-L. Great is Diana. Why did they do this? Well, this infuriated them. Because they knew the Jews didn't like idols. They knew that it was against their command to have idols in there. So what is he doing saying and dissing himself from Paul? The great thing about this is the Lord intervenes and uses an most likely unusual person to diffuse the crowd. He uses the city clerk. You are when Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. 
Is Jesus asking you to follow his instructions today? Maybe he's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe he's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with his promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.